thinking about this weekend, thinking about where we are at, thinking about what is happening down on the borders, thinking about Father's Day and all the fathers who won't get to be with their kids um, this weekend and, and really until who knows when. And then thinking about the church's role and response in this. Now, broader national conversation at hand, we have national leaders that are pulling out the Bible to justify the separation of children and families, saying that this is God-ordained, it's, it's in the Bible, our hands are tied, like we have the green light from God to go forward with this. Is that true? <laughs> what a great question. Yeah. Especially as we talk about this in the context of a community centered around the life and teachings of Jesus, manifested or at least uh, articulated in some form in the in the Bible. And here we are, um, as people like myself who live in one of the largest, um, most powerful countries, empires, if you will, throughout human history, and we're reading the text uh, that we find sacred in such a way to actually uh, keep out and to diminish and to lessen those who are on the outside of our nation-state border, the most vulnerable. I think it's it's a fascinating way to interpret the text. I think for us to talk about this issue specifically, we have to begin by thinking about it theologically as people of faith. Um, the, the, the biblical story was largely the story of an immigrant people that were perpetually crushed by laws and by practices of those in power. And it's a story of an immigrant people seeking to find a home. They're on the move. They are the refugees. They are the outsider. It's there that it's that community that God is speaking to and through. But oftentimes we read our biblical text as if we are the protagonists in the story, right. when in reality, those of us in power were the ones on the wrong side of the, the story. And so um, this, this recent incident with Sessions reading Romans 13 in that way is, um, is it is a perfect example of how we read ourselves into the text as the hero. Mm -hmm. um, and then we use it as, as a weapon that we wield to keep those who compromise us in our security. Uh, and, and usually it's the most vulnerable and marginalized. So coming with that theological framework, how have you personally been, just even get our, give our people a little familiarity with you, um, how have you personally been laying your hands on this specific um, issue and the people that are, are being devastated inside of it. Yeah, so I live in San Diego, um, which is a border town, as you all know. Uh, San Diego, Tijuana is one large metropolitan city. We are completely interdependent politically, socially, economically. If you look at it from a satellite, it's all one space. Hmm. And there happens to be a border and there happens to be a big wall between us, but the relationships are very intimate. And so um, over this last decade specifically, I've spent a lot of time um, – sitting at the feet of my friends who are working for peace in uh, on the southern side of the border and helping them uh, or having them help me understand how to follow Jesus in this place. And uh, it, it's given me the opportunity to see realities taught not to see. I mean, I was taught not to see the people who inconvenienced my comfortable everyday life, which is very easy to have here in San Diego. It's a great city, a nice city. Um, but we are we are marbled into a very broken reality that happens at our borders. The stuff you're seeing on the headlines of family separation and, and new policy about zero tolerance that everyone is being arrested that's trying to cross the border illegally. So over the years, I've been sitting with folks in deportation shelters and in family um, shelters in Tijuana to hear their story and um, to build those relationships as a faith leader and as a human being. And mm -hmm. um, 
And so when these political issues come up, when the headlines glare, it's a kind of a news cycle thing right now. It's up again. But every single day here, this stuff's happening. And for those of us on the ground, this is not a surprise. It's a, it's a perpetual lament, but it's super relational for me. And so in this moment, I mean, a week and a half ago, I sat with Madi Sol. She's a mother of, of two kids. She has twins. I have twins. I have four little kids. Two of them are our twins, and she had one-and-a-half-year-old twins. Their father, her husband, was kidnapped and killed by cartels in southern Mexico. And she made it all the way to Tijuana, and she was trying to seek asylum into the U.S. And we were sitting with her. She's just weeping. And we're knowing that our administration's policy is actually, as she turns herself in to seek asylum, they're going to take the that we were sitting with because that's now a mandatory family separation um, requirement of the U.S. government. And so – it's very. I think of Marisol. I don't think of oh those right. crazy like, like like that headline and then start just tweeting about it. It's it's a very personal thing and and also now they're they've reshaped uh, how you can seek asylum and people that are running from domestic abuse can't seek asylum anymore. So a lot of Marisols aren't going to make it. They're just going to have to remain in a very violent tumultuous reality. So help me understand this then, John, because I want to talk about that for a second. Help me understand. It feels to me, and I'm not an expert in this area, but it feels to me like there's a certain level of impotence when it comes to international treaties, international law. From my understanding, we have statutes that have been codified internationally that gives right to asylum seekers to find places. Isn't it like, is it Article 31 or something like that of refugees? I don't know. I read it this morning. I'm, I'm, it's it's confusing to me how it seems that our administration is just ignoring these long-standing international and national uh, things that have been codified and agreed upon. Is that what has yeah. been happening? Yes and no. Okay. It's always more complex. Uh, the, the yes is yes. The attorney general has the power to new like to reinterpret the laws that already exist on the books, not to write new ones that has to go through Congress, but to interpret how they're they're practiced and that's happening and that's changing okay. he's changing how we interpret these uh, the, the statutes around asylum seekers so uh, there's there's a five different reasons someone can seek asylum um, and he's really sh- like getting clear that you can't be running from domestic abuse that it has to be a systemic thing in the country that's unstable that they're running from and and uh, but the reality is a lot of the people move, running from violence in Central America and southern Mexico, that region has been destabilized over history. If we go back to the 80s and look at our U.S. involvement in that region that that, that forced people to leave as refugees, landing in L.A. in under-resourced neighborhoods, which bred gangs. They were deported back to Central America, brought the gangs with them, which is now destabilizing the region, creating these kinds of realities of gang violence and domestic abuse. And now the movement is back south to north. So it's not just this this reality that's happening because those bad people down there, it, it's a systemic issue. And all these different areas of violence come from that. And that's important for us to understand. So, so the yes is Sessions is changing some stuff uh, around how we interpret that law. The no is a lot of this stuff has been happening. Families are separated at the border and have been actually for a long time because the, you cannot house, the U.S. government will not house men with children. And there's very few women and children shelters. And so usually if someone's seeking asylum, they turn themselves in. The kids are put into CPS or some equivalent, the adults are detained waiting for a trial. And so that's actually been happening. That's a normative practice. It's accelerated right now because the the current administration's instituted this zero policy um, reality, which is basically anyone that crosses the border illegally 
is detained and sent into this process, where in the past, border agents have had the discretion, which all law enforcement officers have, to either uh, arrest them or to send them back south of the border. So this is like if every policeman pulled over everyone that was going 66 miles an hour rather than 65, police use their discretion to say, that's not a good use of resources, that's unrealistic. Um, this, this administration is saying, no, everyone that's going 66 in relation to border crossing is going in. And so now shelters are overflowing, families right. are being separated exponentially. That's, that's the problem. It's not a new thing. It's just amplified. So with these facilities, yeah, I think, I think I follow in you, but, but I still don't see like how, I don't see how this, I don't see what the long game on this is. You know what I'm saying? Like we have facilities that are reaching max capacity as is. And, and how do you continue at this pace in some kind of like fruitful way? I understand that like, even if I can take, um, even if I can't, but even if you can take morality, um, everything out of it and say like, um, okay, so you are using these tactics that are cruel for the sake of, of it being a deterrent of sorts. Okay. But long term, if you are keeping up at the pace that you are keeping up, if the numbers that are coming in are true, are they just going to keep creating new old Walmarts and filling up kids with that? Is that what the, the, the trajectory is looking like? It's looking like it. I, there's no way for me to be able to answer that. My understanding is I actually had have a relationship with the Border Patrol chief here in San Diego and met with him uh, last week. Wow. And it was very telling. And part of my role as a peacemaker and as a practitioner on these streets is to keep relational doors open to all those who have influence to actually change broken systems. And so it's, it's an incredible opportunity to be in relationship with him and ask these kinds of questions directly to him. And um, right now, they, the, the administration is talking about this policy as a deterrent. So their hope is that it's going to reduce the number of families that try to cross the border so we don't have to open more Walmarts to house them. Right. I think that's one, that's one way they're thinking long term. What we're seeing is the numbers are not decreasing. And what Agent Rod Scott, who I, I met with down here, is saying they haven't seen the numbers decrease yet. But they also are saying the word hasn't passed far enough south into southern Mexico and into Central America that, hey, you need to stop trying to come because it's ugly up here. And uh, so they're going to wait for a few months to see if the waves actually begin to slow when the word passes that it's not going to work to make it into the United States. Um, history tells us it's probably not going to happen. If you're talking about a rural family in Guatemala, they're not, they don't know the nuances of our policy. Right. They just weren't going to survive. And you have a mom with three kids that's going to cross that border, not because she's trying to take away our jobs, but because she's trying to create any kind of stability for her kids. And then they're going to end up in being detained and all this is going to happen. So I'm 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 a bit cynical about the road forward, but um, it seems unclear. Okay, so John, help me can, if I can go back to something that we were talking about a couple minutes ago about the idea of asylum. Tell me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that thinking about San San Diego to all these places, the border, there is a bridge. If you go across the bridge, if you enter in through the legal ways, like then you are good to go. But even that legal door that is supposed supposed to be wide open, not wide open, it's supposed to be open. That's the entry point. That's not functioning the way that we have idealized it to be functioning, correct? Because right now, those people that are going through there, either they're being told that, that bridge is closed or they're being arrested all the same. Yes. Yes. So so seeking asylum at one of our ports of entry, which you're describing, is a legal, constitutional, it's the correct way to come right. to our border. Right. Yes, that has gotten very dicey. So if you um, come in with your kids, though, and you're doing it legally, like you're being asked to do it, 
right? I mean, like that's that's the rhetoric. Even if you do that, you are risking your kids being taken from you. You bet. Legally. Okay. Legally, that is what will happen. All right, so John. Again, there's some discussion still. There's still some blurred lines, like occasionally agents. This this policy still hasn't been fully employed, but in, in general, that could now happen over and over and over. All right, so my, my blood boils hearing that. You've been hearing that again beyond the news cycle. You've been hearing that beyond the sensationalizing of this whole thing. And yet you've, you also hold to this idea of keeping relational doors open. And so talk to me about big picture. Um, why, what, what does anger look like for you in this? Cause this is outrageous. I mean, this is, this is, this is one of those things where in talking about it with Christian uh, Ankram, we were saying how it shouldn't be like, regardless of your stance on immigration and what a healthy immigration system looks like, what we are looking right now is black and white evil. There's no ambiguity around it. What is happening is wrong. And so there should be this justifiable righteous indignation outrage. How do you, what does anger look like for you? Yeah. Um. I'm furious. Honestly, I've been um, I've been really pissed, <laughs> and uh, and I think it's really important to feel that. I think um, where how how I think about anger in this context is through the the lens of these personal relationships that are impacted by these policies, and then I have to think about what's the most constructive way to channel my anger that creates systemic change on behalf of personal realities because I think this is a temptation for me. I, I love the definition of privilege as the ability to walk away. Yeah. I could walk away right now from this whole thing. This conversation could end. I'm good. I have my four kids. We all, many of us listening to this probably have that kind of privilege. That is not an option for us right now. And the, the anger could be, I'm just going to continue to get pissed and yell at people that are doing this stupid stuff. And that those ignorant family members and those ignorant congressmen and women, Reality is, friends, that is a place of privilege for me to just go and scream on my Twitter and call everyone names and not be engaged in sustained relationships for the long haul that could actually change broken systems that are breaking people. And so I want to channel my yeah. anger to myself. What's the evil? What's the violence within myself that I need to disarm so I can participate in disarming the violence of our world? That's a, a paraphrase of Thomas Merton. This is the moment for it. I got to be pissed. But I have to be pissed and direct it in the right way or else I'm just living an insular privileged life that keeps – if my power looks different, maybe I'm saying the right things. But if I'm not in relationships with people that can change stuff, forget it. Turn in the keys. Walk away. We don't need you. We don't need more people screaming and yelling and yeah. doing nothing. That's actually doing more harm. And so from what, I, what I'm learning from my friends on the underside of power, um, friends of color, friends at the border, it's – don't don't take this conflict and make it some cerebral headline war. Make it something you give your life to and open the doors and walk through the doors that open because you have a privilege that you need to leverage on my behalf. Mm -hmm. They don't have the privilege. They don't have the vote. They don't have a conversation with the Border Patrol chief, but I do. And if I get pissed and break those relationships, then Montesol stays trapped in a, a broken, violent situation south of the border. And that's unacceptable. And so I think this is this is why this work of peacemaking is discipleship journey. We have right. to do the work in ourselves that's getting in the way of us staying in the game for the long haul and actually making systemic change. It's hard. We need to pause. We need to take inventory. 
And then we roll up our sleeves and get after it in relationship with people that are probably going to make us uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. That's good, John. Thank you for that. Um, again, I know you, it's, it's Saturday and you have fam to get with. So I just want to ask you a couple more questions. What, um, yep. you're in, you're in San Diego. We're in the Northern sticks far away from what we would, it, it could easily, again, thinking about the privilege of walking away when you're so far removed yep. geographically, even though we live in a smaller world right now, it, it, you can walk away. You have that ability. There's, it doesn't yep. feel so. Can you help demythologize that? That's not a word. You know what I'm saying, though. Can you untangle that okay. facade that that like we're actually removed and isolated and thus incapacitated to do anything about that? And then what would it look yeah, like to can. do something from 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 where we are as we are? Yeah, <clears throat> um, I I think yes, you are not removed from this at all. You're right at the epicenter of it. If you if you're inside our nation state boundaries. Um, and you have some of the privilege we're talking about. And so I, I think it's critical in this moment to understand that every city in our country, including yours, is an immigrant city. Like there are immigrants everywhere. There's a huge refugee community, obviously, in your city. Um, it, you know, there's a reality happening at the border. There's also a reality happening on your streets. And there are detention centers in your space. ICE is active in your space. The yep. local policies and leaders that you elect and support are perpetuating a system that's broken or are participating in changing it. And so uh, there is an awareness that needs to happen in your own community about how this isn't something that you just hear about at the border, but what are the implications there? You guys need to become students of that. Um, you need to, to, to study your history of what's going on and, and who are the influencers who are already doing the work that you can learn from and join, whether it's a nonprofit uh, arena or business or law enforcement. Um, I think it's important to leverage your influence in your own community with your family members. Like when, if you're part of a Christian circle, like I am, when you hear leaders describe Romans 13, like, like attorney general sessions did the other day, you need to be bold in, in saying that that interpretation is not okay. And, and not just to point fingers at them and get angry at them. Um, but you need to be willing to put some skin in the game so that we don't see, these laws that are in our country as these codified, static, untouchable realities. We live in a democracy. Laws are meant to be changed if they are broken, and we have to do that. And you need to leverage your your own um, relational equity in your own circles. You need right now. We all need to call our local representatives and tell them this stuff at the border: the family separation, the zero tolerance is on. It's it's inhumane, and it's faith leaders and faith people, faith influencers. We can talk about it from a moral perspective. Yep. Um, you probably have a local detention center in your city where ICE uh, brings people that have been uh, detained considering deportation or waiting for trial. Um, you can look that up and you can become advocates there. You can ask to get a tour. You can ask about their practices. You can ask about those that are impacted. You might be able to tie those lines to families that are now like the breadwinners now detained. What happens to the rent with the mom and five kids? What does yeah. it look like to support those families? That's happening very likely in your city. Um, of course we got a vote coming up in the midterm elections. I have a, yes, we need to vote. I, um, I have a weird relationship with that. I think we all do like our God. So we don't put our hope in trust nation state system, but our secondary allegiance is the United States of America. And we need to leverage our, our influence there. So be students of that. Um, here's my last question. And if it doesn't go through, um, we can talk about it later, but what? Where are you finding hope right now? Um, 
me ask you a question. I'm going to answer it somewhat briefly, but I, I'm finding hope in a, in a few areas. One, there's more and more people, uh, good, well-intentioned Christian folks that have been apathetic and are coming off the sidelines because specifically this issue has struck a chord that's just unacceptable. And so I'm encouraged to see that there is there's movement uh, and there's a there's a there's an auditing that we're having collectively of our faith and the way that our faith is intersecting with our policy. That gives me hope. Uh, it feels it feels like a long journey, but I think we're on it. Um, I find hope, obviously, in my forums and and in in relationships they're building across this border. For me personally, again, as a local San Diego Tijuana, like um, my kids understand this space and they understand it from a way different reality than I did at their their age. And I think we have hope in the next generation. You have kids. Like, what are ways that we're actually inviting our kids to see the stuff that we were taught not to see? Right. All of us. And um, and, it, and it matters, and it's changing stuff, and that that gives me hope. So, yeah, there's a couple couple areas I'm I'm experiencing some at the moment. Okay. Well, thanks for the time, buddy. I love you. Love you too, man. Hope this is helpful. Give your community a squeeze on my behalf. I will do just that. Okay. We'll see you, buddy. All right, man. Later. Bye.